Bogotov, today's stop is Memdalet 44. We're at the end of Memgel Amut Beth. We're in the middle of discussing the mitzvah of Arava. And what the Gemara has said so far, and let's, because this is going to be the focus for the rest of the daf today, is number one, the assumption that taking the Arava in the base of Mikdash is biblical. I reminded you that an earlier Gemara attributed it either to the verse of Arve Nachal in the double language, or Ahalachal Moshe Misi and I. We're going to see that repeated in a few minutes. Um, and it would be biblical um, all seven days, and um, but in, because it was obviously not as known that this was biblical, um, they allowed it to be taken. Although it was never a mitzvah out of the mikdash, um, in contrast to lulav, they nevertheless allowed it to be taken one day on Shabbat, so that people should be aware that it's biblical. And because the first day wouldn't have been obvious, they chose the seventh day. That seems to be how the seventh day for us, Hoshana Rabbah got its weight and got its significance. Again, they wouldn't violate Shabbat. It just meant that they would not be concerned that it could lead to possible problems. And another issue that the Gemara mentioned about why those concerns aren't really so present is because it is not a free-for-all. It's not that everybody comes to the Mikdash and every individual does it. It is something that is basically controlled by the Mikdash authorities, by Basin, by the Kohanim. So that is the idea that it's seven days um, and if the Hoshana Rabbah falls that on Shabbos they do it even on Shabbos in the Mikdash now the Gemara's question right now is um, why don't we um, take it on um, on Hoshana Rabbah out of the Mikdash because as we learned before I mean even if our practice in Chutzvah has changed or whatever we'll revisit that but at least according to the Mishnah they would take the Lulav on the first day on Shabbat then why don't we in parallel out of the Mikdash take the Arava on the seventh day on Hoshana Rabbah on Shabbat why don't we do it even on Shabbat so the first answer to the Gemara is well maybe in theory you could but we've arranged the calendar to avoid that from ever happening um, we'll get back to that in a minute but the other answer is no actually it has happened that Hoshana Rabbah fell out on Shabbat and they don't take it out of the Beit HaMikdash so again the question is why is that different then at least according to the Mishnah that they would take the Lulav when the first day was on Shabbat out of the Beit HaMikdash and right now the Gemara's answer is whoa, 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 one minute says the Gemara let's understand what exactly is the practice we're referring to what was the later mission says that what they would do in the Mikdash is that they would stick these palm branches by the altar and it would have this overhang on the altar and it also refers to a procession around the altar so um, what was the practice in the Mikdash that was the primary it was fundamentally <coughs> putting it by the altar then we can't do it out of the Mikdash so it's like, it, it's like the whole question is moot right so therefore that's why we don't do it on Shabbat because we're not really doing what the primary action was but if the primary action was the procession then you actually have a good question but the response is no maybe the procession was done with the lula maybe the real thing with the arava was the thing by the altar so that now is our issue what was the real thing done by the altar meaning they did both but one maybe was the lula, with the lula but what was the focus of what they did in the mikdash was it the sticking it by the altar so then there's really just not a real practice of that out of the mikdash or is it the um, procession or maybe just the holding on it because there's also not an altar also but if it's more walking in some type of a procession maybe we can say we are really doing that and therefore that will help explain why we do or don't do it on Shabbat if maybe we don't really ever really redo what's being done in the Mikdash well, so that's you need that you could say you could say you could say but we will see that a phrase that's going to be used in a minute that might indicate that if it's not about the sticking it by the altar it's more an activity than having it surround the altar maybe we could be seen as doing that type of an activity outside so that's the issue what was the focus in the Mikdash and therefore how much are what we are doing really a continuation of that which might help explain why we don't do it on Shabbat so the Gemara picks up with this in the following it says Eisve it starts with the line that says Lulav about ten lines from the bottom a little asterisk little asterisk Lulav Dochet so we have a Brita so Sefta that says Lulav overrides Shabbat again not literally but we don't have to worry about Shabbos possible you know inadvertent Shabbos violations you're allowed to take the Lulav on Shabbat on the first day Betchilato the beginning of the Chag the Arava Bisofo and the Arava overrides Shabbat at the end meaning Hoshana Rabbah if it falls out on Shabbat you can take the Arava on Shabbat Pamachat, now that might be talking about the mixer. Pamachat, Chal Shvi Shel Rabbah Liopah Shabbat. Once Hoshana Rabbah, Shvi Shel Rabbah, 
sell out on Shabbat. And they brought like huge bundles of Aravah on Friday, because again, you, you, you have to, not, you can't violate Shabbat. You can take it on Shabbat, but you have to be very careful to do the preparations beforehand. And they put them in the courtyard. And the Baitusites, this is what was going on. It's interesting. Normally, the opponents of the rabbis are the Tzedukim. But Baitusim was another sect at that time. And also, going to this, you know, this is not in the Torah. This, it's not explicit. So the Baitusim were opposed to this practice. And they saw what was going on. Um, the Naflum, and they, they stole the Aravas. The Kivshum Takat Avanim. And they buried them under stones. And which is Muktzah. Lemachar, the next day, he cured Ben Amea Aretz, the, uh, you know, the, uh, people of the land, the, uh, the common people saw what had happened, and they didn't want to not do their very, uh, exciting Arava ritual. They pulled them out from underneath the rocks. And then the Konim brought them into the Azara. And they stuck them by the sides of the altar. Why did all this happen? Because the Baitusim do not agree that the Chibut Arava overrides Shabbat. Now, there's a couple of fascinating parts about that story. Number one is, why did it need the Ameha Aretz to take it under the, from under the rocks? Big deal, it's Muktza. Shouldn't it be willing to override Muktza? And presumably the answer is no. Even if they let them take the Arava on Shabbat, as we said, they didn't actually allow it to override a prohibition. They just said, we'll allow you to do it. Uh, but interestingly, although the Aravas might be considered Muktza, but whatever it is, no, that you're allowed. But some other issue, like moving a rock, that presumably... They wouldn't have done. So you needed the Amiyarets who weren't so mocked on it to remove it from under the rock. Although it does say, it didn't say that they lifted off the rock. It says they pulled it from under the rock. Maybe that's like Tiltuminatsan, which is allowed by Muktza. So number one, a fascinating thing is that the rocks became an impediment, um, it, you know, um, because even if they're allowing it on Shabbat, it doesn't mean they're allowing everything. The other fascinating thing is it did not say that the Baitusim rejected the whole practice. Notice what it says the Baitusim didn't agree. They didn't agree they didn't agree to do it on Shabbat and what do you mean what do you mean override what violation is being done so it's quite fascinating, right? The Bajusim fundamentally were okay with the ritual. They just didn't like it on Shabbat. Okay, they didn't have a problem, uh, you know, but what, what, what was the real Shabbat problem other than some vague concern of where it might lead? So that's point one minute. That's just interesting footnotes about that whole story. Why is it relevant for us? Well, if you wanted to infer from here what was the primary act that was done by the Arava, what would you say based on this story? That's the question at hand. Was it about putting it by the altar no. or was it by walking with it? Say, ah, so Dove jumps to the line Kibut, which is what the Gemara does. But if you would have asked me, I would have started by the line where it says, the Karni took it, seems to emphasize the placing of it. That was the big deal. But actually, the Gemara reads it, this writer like Dove did. And the Gemara focuses on the word, that that is the verb, that is the key act. Now, what is chibut arava? So, chibut could be, right, um, like when you say lachvot, you know, it could mean like to hit. Um, and we actually know the practice of banging the aravas. But interestingly, that hasn't been mentioned yet. And interestingly, the Gemara is assuming that the word chibut means something like the carrying or the waving of the arava. Okay, and therefore, since it describes the key act as chibut, and chibut is understood as taking or carrying or waving, therefore the Gemara says, you see, that's the key <laughs> thing that was done, not the placing by the altar. It's true that was, the altar was also done, but the key thing was just the taking of the arava. So the Gemara says, Alma, you see, benetilahi, the fundamental act is the taking of the arava, not the placing by the altar, that is an ultimate contradiction that proves that point and therefore we're back to square one. If the basic act in the Mikdash was the holding and the shaking and the taking, why could it not also be done? Why is it not done outside of the Mikdash on Shabbat? That was our question. And don't tell me, oh, we don't really do the real thing. Because you know what? If it's really about the taking of it, like the taking of a lulav, 
we could do it out of the Mikdash. So if they do, why don't we do it on Hoshana Rabbah on Shabbat? According to the Gemara, where that actually could happen, that Hoshana Rabbah falls on Shabbat. So we're back to that question. Dove has a question before we no, go no, to the no, answer. No, no. I think it's the first time we saw Chibut, right? Yes. And we're going to see it again. So the Gemara says, Ve'ela nidchu. So why doesn't it override? Why don't we do it on Shabbat out of the Mikdash? No, because, so since we, in outside of Israel, this is going back to the same thing that we explain about why we don't take the Lulav on the first day. Outside of Israel, where we, don't, we, we act as if we don't know which is really the right cal- day of the week, calendar day, so therefore we're not going to override Shabbat because there's always an element of doubt what day it is. So therefore, they're not going to do it even in Eretz Yisrael. That's why it never appeared in the Mishnah to do it outside of the Mikdash. So the Gemara says, one minute. So the Gemara says, the high Yomtev Arishan Dilidan Lo Dachu Lididu Dachi. One minute. But by, but by Lulav, there is a dead Lulav. They do take it in Eretz Yisrael. The Mishnah made it sound like in Lulav they took in Eretz Yisrael on the first day of Yomtev on Shabbat, even though we don't, take, we don't do it out of Israel. Amri top of you can say no you're wrong they don't take the lulav in Eretz Yisrael on, the first, on Shabbos either on the first day against the Mishnah that actually is our practice in Israel they do not take the lulav on the first day if it's Shabbat so what about the fact that it says you do it in the Mishnah so what about the contradiction of Mishnayot or not the contradiction but the juxtaposition of the two Mishnayot that seem to indicate you did it in Israel um, on, uh, when it fell out on Shabbat the Tanakhata one Mishnah says everybody would prepare for Shabbat by bringing their luavs to the Temple Mount the other Mishnah says Knesset and how do you, so what was it? Would they take it to Shul or would they take it to the base of Mikdash? And we Tartsinan and we explained yesterday that if, when there's a temple they would they would take it in the temple when there wasn't a temple they would take it in the Shul and they would take it on Shabbat the Mishnah makes it clear that they would take it on Shabbat so how can you tell me we don't take the, that Lulav you don't take on Shabbat if it's Yantif? so the Gemara says no nope that's not the way to read the Mishnah I divide these bunch of days on the Shkayim. The Nishnayos could be talking both in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the Lokasha. So which was it? Was it in the Mikdash or was it in the Shul? Kambi Mikdash, Kambi Gvulin. Depends where you are. If you're living in the environs of Yerushalayim, you go on Shabbos to the Beis Hamikdash and you take the Lulav. If you're living outside of the immediate environs of the of Harbayis, you go and you take it in the Shul. So is it true that the Mishnayot have you taking it on Shabbat and Shul? Yes but maybe only at the time of the temple. Nowadays, where there's no temple, and therefore out of Israel, we always keep two days, so for, for sort of um, you know, consistency of practice, even in Israel, we're not going to take the Lulav on the first day Yantiv. Since we don't take the Lulav on the first day Yantiv out of Israel, we're not going to take it in Israel either. And that's why we don't take Arava out of the Beis HaMikdash also, even in Israel, because we're not going to take it out of Israel. So the basic answer of the Gemara is the following. Lulav is taken the first day on Shabbat in the Beis HaMikdash, Arava the seventh day on Shabbat. It used to be that Lulav was taken even out of the Beis HaMikdash, the first day on Shabbat, but that was in Israel. Now that the established practice is that out of Israel we keep two days Yantiv, and therefore we always act as if there's a doubt, and therefore we won't take it on Shabbat, they don't take Lulav on Shabbat anymore in Israel either. And the same is true about the Arava. What the Gemara is saying is, in theory, you're right. Maybe originally the Arava was taken in all of Israel on the Hoshana Rabbah on Shabbat. But since now it's not done that way out of Israel because of the two idea of Sveik of the Yoma, we don't do it in Israel either. So it's the same story, the same halacha. In theory, it should be done in Israel on Shabbat, but it's not because it's not done in Chutzlar, it's because of Sveik of the Yoma. Okay, so that is the conclusion of Lulav and Arava. Now, by the way, um, so the... Um, so the Tosus does raise an interesting question, which is the Gemara raised the issue of Hoshana Rabbah never falling on Shabbat. And the Gemara said, you know what, Hoshana Rabbah could fall on Shabbat. But it says, okay, that's all very nice. But we've now constructed the calendar that Hoshana Rabbah never falls on Shabbat. That's just the way the calendar is constructed. And Tosus says, isn't this ironic? We've constructed the calendar so Hoshana Rabbah never falls on Shabbat. 
So the whole discussion of the Gemara actually is now a moot point because we will all ne- we will never have Hoshana Rabbah on Shabbat and you'll always be able to take the Rabbah on Hoshana Rabbah. But guess what can fall on Shabbat with our calendar? First day of Sukkot. Not only the first day of Sukkot, but if the first day of Sukkot is falling on Shabbat, what else is falling on Shabbat? First day... No, not Pesach. First day of Rosh Hashanah. So we will allow the calendar to happen so that you won't take Lulav and you won't blow shofar on the biblical days, but don't worry, you'll always be able to do Hoshana Rabbah with your Rabbah thing. So it's quite ironic. So if you take a look back at Tosus Lo Iklam and Gimlam Medved, Tosus says like this, he says, he says, Vyesh um, Lomar, um, or like it's, I don't know where it is, two-thirds down, the line starts with the Oraisa. He says, so those that are Doraisa, lo chayshina, we're not concerned that you won't do the biblical mitzvah and we allow it to be on Shabbat. Yeshlomo, you could say, deinachinami, dahani dixivi behedya, things that are explicit in the Torah, shofar and bulav, lo asilifakfukei behu, b'sharishanim. If on one year it falls out on Shabbat and you don't do it, it's not going to undermine the institution because people understand that it's a real serious obligation. Avala rava, derabana, and rava, which is rabbinic, meaning out of the mikdash, it's rabbinic, so, so people, it'll undermine the institution if we don't do it. So you know what? It's right. We want to ensure that you always do a Rabbah. You always have Hoshana Rabbah. Yeah, okay, sometimes you won't do the biblical mitzvah, but at least those won't be undermined. Okay? Um, and then those has other explanations about ways in which it could be the shofar, you could still do it, and if there's a base in, etc., etc. Anyway, okay, yes. Or Lulav, he says, there are two days of Yantav. So, right, so that's the other thing. If you look yeah, at the... Right. Shofar and Lulav. Right. The first day, you don't do the biblical, you do it on the second day. Right, so if you look, that's the next answer. So it says, the ode to me suffix of Dina Treyoma, the Chiyoma, Mikliyom, Rishon Bishab, is ancient for Botolagame, the token Bishani. There you go, exactly what you said. So, yeah, we'll allow the first day of Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot fall on Shabbat, but we're going to ensure that Hoshana Rabbah never does, so we always get to do a Rabbah. Although the Gemara was dealing with the possibility that Hoshana Rabbah could be on Shabbat, and said, if that would happen, you wouldn't do a Rabbah, because now, because of Sveik of the Yoma, we don't do these things, even in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so now back to Mandalat Amlalif by about six lines from the top. Amalei Abayi, L'Rabbah. So Abayi said to Rabbah, why out of the temple do we do a seven day commemoration of Lulav right we do it all seven days that was the Takan of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai we don't do it seven days they did it seven days in the Mikdash but we only do a Rava one day by the way, you could even strengthen the question. Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai never made a takana to do a rava out of the base of Mikdash. Right? Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai made a takana to do lulav all seven days out of the base of Mikdash. Not only did he not make a rava all seven days, the Mishnah never mentions a practice to do a rava out of the base of Mikdash. That practice seemed to develop after the period of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. Okay, so is that clear? In the Mikdash, you would do a rava seven days, that's assumed to be biblical, and lulav seven days. Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai came along and said, let's take the seven days of Lulav in the Beis HaMikdash and do it seven days everywhere. A Rava, he said nothing. Even later, post-Mishnah, it seems, there developed the practice, I don't know, post or pre, what's in, not in the Mishnah, it doesn't seem to Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, they developed the practice to do a Rava on Hoshana Rabbah out of the Beis HaMikdash. So A, he never made the Takana, it was a later Takana, and number two, it was only one day, not seven days. Why did we make a bigger deal out of Lulav than we did about Hoshana Rabba, about the Arava? So that's his question to Rabba. Majna Rabba de Lulav din alayhi shavu zeichla mikdash. Amalei, so Rabba said back to him, We didn't have to do seven days, because you know what? Of Arava out of the mikdash. You're taking Arava all seven days anyway. It's in your Lulav. So you didn't need to do a special thing for Arava. So he said, um, Don't give me that answer. That doesn't commemorate a Rava. That's just wrapped up into the Lulav. You're doing it as part of the Lulav. I'll say, well, no. Maybe you put your take your Lulav for Lulav, you put it down, and you pick it up again. You pick it up the second time in order to be Yotzeh Rava. So we do it all seven days. He says, you can't tell me that. Look around you. You know, if you look at daily practice, nobody picks it up twice. So the reality, give me a break. Nobody is doing a commemoration for a Rava on other days other than Hoshana Rava. Why not? 
So the Gemara says, Amar Avzi Nishmei Derava Lulav Diyoraisa Avdin and Shiva Zeichel and Mikdash Arava Derabana Lo Avdin and Shiva Zeichel and Mikdash Lulav is biblical so we're going to commemorate for meaning it sounds like what the Gemara is saying is Lulav in the base of Mikdash is biblical so we'll commemorate it all seven days Arava this is the way it sounds we're going to correct it in a minute Arava is not biblical even in the base of Mikdash so we're not going to do a commemoration outside the base of Mikdash for all seven days Gemara says one minute um, Laman who are you saying that a Rava is not a biblical thing in the base of Mikdash if you're saying according to Abashol the Amar Arvei Nachotziv it says Arvei in the plural Stayim to tell you two mitzvahs of a Rava Achas Lulav Achas Lamikdash there's the Arava that's the Lulav and there's a separate mitzvah of a Rava in the base of Mikdash it is biblical in the base of Mikdash Ila and if it's according to the rabbis Hilchus Gemirila they know that by a Halach Lamosha Misinai that it's biblical in the base of Mikdash Damar Avati Amar Rav Yochad Amishum Rav Nechunya Ishbikas Base Horsen so there's a teaching in the name of Rabati Nimr Rabbi Yochanan Esernitio ten plantings I'm not going to revisit that that has to do about working the land on Shemitah if there are ten trees within a certain area Chamaim, the pouring of the water on the altar during the seven days of Sukkot excuse me I skipped the key word Arava taking the Arava in the base of Mikdash all seven days Chamaim, the pouring of the water it's Allah Lamoshim Yisinai so what do you mean? Uh, it is biblical in the base of Mikdash. B- Lulav is biblical. Arav is biblical. Why do we do a seven-day commemoration for Lulav and not for Arav? El Amar Ravzid Mishmei Derava. So Ravzid says the name of Rava. Lulav. You miss that. This really seems like it's a reframing of what was said before. It is about being biblical, but biblical where? Lulav the Isai Iker Minatar Bigvulin. There's fundamentally outside of the base of Mikdash. There's a biblical mitzvah of Lulav. You start with the basis of a biblical mitzvah. The first day is biblical out of the Mikdash. Once you have the biblical anchor of Dina Lashiva Zechel Mikdash, we can build on the basic core mitzvah of Lulav of one day and extend it for seven days as a Zechel Mikdash because we're building on the core mitzvah of the one day. Arava, the Lefei Ikriminatar Bigvulin, Arava doesn't even get started biblically outside of the Mikdash. There's no foundation for it out of the Mikdash. So therefore, you're not going to make a seven-day mitzvah of Arava. It's like yesh me'ayin. Right? You're making it in a vacuum. Lulav, you start with a one-day practice. So we can say, you know what? Extend the practice for all seven days. That is what we'll do, but you start with a one-day practice. We're just going to extend it. Arava, you start with nothing out of the mikdash. So if we're going to do something, the most we're going to do is a one-day commemoration. It would be way too much to create a seven-day thing out of nothing. So we're going to do a one-day commemoration, and that is the difference. Okay, so now we understand Arava and Lulav are biblical in the Mikdash. They would override Shabbat on their respective days. In theory, it should override Shabbat out of the Mikdash, but we don't do it because of Sveik of the Yoma, and that becomes a standard practice even in Israel. Why do we do it seven days with Lulav and one day with Arava? Lulav is, starts with a one-day deal, right? So we extend it seven. Arava starts with zero, so we only give it one day, Hoshana Rava. Okay, yes. That's what I've been saying. It's still right in the Beit HaMikdash. Late, late, Yikar Minat Torah, Bigvulin, out of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? All right. So now the Lord says like this. Um, okay. I'm very Kohanim that have blemishes were allowed to go between the Ulam and the Mizbeach in order to be Yotze, the Mitzvah of Arava. Now, you might remember from all of our discussions about the, uh, about, you know, whatever, um, Yom Kippur. Anyway, fine. Okay, so if you, this is your Mitzvah, Okay, and here's your Miseach, and here's your ramp. Okay? This area, this here, this actually would be like this. This area here, this is the Ulam, the Heikal, of the Ram. This area here is Beina Ulam Bala Miseach. Okay? Now that is considered rabbinically the Ahayar of Kiddushah, right? This is Ezra Kohanim, 
and there'd be a small area here where they right. Okay, fine. Anyway, all of these different spaces have higher levels of Kedusha, but mostly it's all rabbinic. Okay, biblically, all of the other Ra has the same status, but the rabbis created gradations. So this area, Bain Ha'ulam Balami you know, when you're about to start, you know, is considered a higher level of Kedusha than the rest of the other Ra. What is the status of Bain Ha'ulam Balami Be'ach? Ba'alei Mumim, Kohanim with blemishes, well, they can't do the avoda, but they could be in the Azara, but they're not allowed Bain Ha'ulam Balami Be'ach. What Reish Lakish is saying is, when you're going to do your rituals, carrying your arabas, here, for a little men carrying their arabas, and doing their rituals, <laughs> okay? Yeah, now I got started. Okay? <laughs> Every, we're doing our little, gives you a nice sense of what they would do. Doing our nice little araba rituals, right? Actually, it seems, anyway, here we are. Okay, so we're doing our little rituals. He says that the Ba'alei Mumin could be part of the procession. And they could go, Ben Ha'ulam Balamizeach, they would override that normal concern in order to do the mitzvah of Arava, let's Arava. Okay, so let's see what the Gemara says. Are there two sets of Aravot, one set that they're holding and one set that's stuck in the ground? No, it seems it would be the same, but you will also remember the discussion earlier was maybe they did it with the Lulav, the procession, but the conclusion of the early Gemara was no, the procession was with the Arava. And it seems that they would do both, that they would do a procession and, and then, then do the sick in the ground. So it would seem. Okay, so Amr is Lakish. Kanim ba'alei mumin nichnasim bein hulam ba'lamizbeach de latzei parava. Amr Reb Yochanan, so Reb Yochanan backed him. Mi Amra says who? So the Gemara said. Now the Gemara says Mi Amra says who? Ha'iu Amr, you say it. Adamr has the Ati Amr Reb Yochanan. Mishumem nechuni ish pikas beis chorsen. Eser netios aravav and nizuch hamayim. Like we said before, these three things: the ten plantings, the aravav, the pouring of the water. Halachal Moshe Misina is biblical. So you say it's an obligation. So the question is. But what do you mean? What he seems to have been bothered by was the statement that it could be Kohanim Ba'alei Mumim. What, what do you prove, right? That even Kohanim with blemishes, what do you prove by just saying that he says it's an obligation? So there are two points that Rashi and Tosis make. Number one is the phrase that Rachel Luckis used was Latseit. Latseit sounds like it is a, right, that it is a personal obligation that you have to be Yotzei. Right? That's what it sounds like. So it sounded like Rishwaki Rabyokan was challenging and said, Who says it's really an obligation? What do you mean Latsait? Who actually be- I don't believe it's a real obligation. So he says, What do you mean you don't believe it's a real obligation? You say it's an obligation. Okay? Tozos also says if we're gonna override the rabbinic concern of allowing Baalemunin here, that means we would only override that biblical concern if we thought it was biblical. That rabbinic concern if we thought it was a biblical obligation. So therefore, the Gemara thought that Rachel, Rabbi Yochanan was saying, who says the Baal Moon can do it? Who says it's biblical? And I said, what do you mean? You say it's biblical. You say it's halach l'moshe misinai. And that's why you can do it. So what's bothering you? So let's see what's bothering him. So the Gemara says, um, so the Gemara says, Ella says the Gemara, mi amra binitila dilma bizikifa. Who said the mitzvah is taking it? Maybe the mitzvah is sticking it in the ground. Right? Now, why should that matter in terms of the Bali Mumin issue? So what's the mitzvah sticking it in the ground? Let the Kohen still do it. So can you think why it would matter? If the mitzvah wasn't the procession, the mitzvah was sticking in the ground, why should that not justify the Kohen Bali Mumin to do it? Yeah? Exactly. That's what Tosa says. Tosa says, if it's a procession and you're part of it, so you've got to go all the way around. But if it's just sticking, then you can stick it without going around. So maybe the real myth is going back to our other question. Maybe the real myth is the sticking, and you could do this part. You don't have to do that part. Rashi has even a more fascinating read. Rashi says if the idea is a procession, then it's like a personal obligation. And every coin, like taking the lulav, you got to shake a lulav. You know what you got to do? You got to walk around with an araba. It's a personal obligation. And if you're a balmum, you still got to do it. But if it's sticking it in the ground, he says it's not that you as an individual have to stick it. It's that you want the mizbeach surrounded by our rubbers. Somebody's got to do it. It doesn't have to be you. So that's also a fascinating conceptual shift. Is the idea of the mitzvah of a rubber in the mikdash, 
a personal obligation that every Kohen has to walk around and do this? Or is it about, no, in the end of the day, there has to be a Rava surrounding the Mikdash. Like, I always wonder the guy who's standing up with the Sefer Torah during Hoshana Rabbah and holding the Sefer Torah. Is he saying to himself, like, I'm not being Yotze Hoshanas because I'm not walking around. <laughs> you think that? Yes, like, I don't want to be given... Right, so we all so tend to I think in terms of... We all tend to think in all areas of Allah in terms of, like, it's all about my personal obligation. But says who? Maybe the nature of the practice of Hoshana is the whole thing that happens in the show. That one guy is with the Seva Torah and other guys are walking around and as a sh- this is how we're as a shoulder. It's not about your personal chiyuv to walk around da 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 da. So that's the question. If it's a personal obligation okay, then a balmum has got to do it. But if it's just about making sure there are ravas planted by the next enemy Zayach, who says that a balmum has to do it and who says he's a allowed to do it. So that's his question. Okay? Mi'amra b'netila dilma b'zakifa maybe it's about the sticking in the floor. Mi'amra b'bali mumim and even if it is about the procession who says that you do it with a bali mum? Dilma b'tmimim maybe maybe even the procession is limited to t'mimim even if it is about a procession. Okay, so that was what Rabbi Yochanan was challenging. I get that it's biblical. I'm not sure I agree that a Baal can do it. A, the earlier question, is it more about the taking or more about the planting? And B, I'm not so sure that that includes a Baal Itmar. Now we have another issue. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Debate of Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Charamar Arava Yisod Nevi'im. One says Arava is the foundation of the Nevi'im, which they, found, they, they laid the foundation of the practice, which Rashi basically says means they legislated it. They demanded that people do it. The Charamar, the other one says, Arava Minag Nevi'im. They didn't actually legislate it. They just like began this as a custom and people followed the custom now now, right what about the fact that we just said it's biblical now so we'll get to that in a minute but first we have this debate about how much it came from the that it was Nevi'im but was it that a legislative practice or just an adopt like a minhog so it says the Gemara says Tistayim let's conclude um the Rabbi Yochanan who the Amar Yisod Nevi'im. Rabbi Yochanan is the one who said that it was a foundation of the Nevi'im. The Amar Rabbi Yavam Rabbi Yochanan, a Rabbi Yisod Nevi'im. Because we have a statement in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that it's a Yisod Nevi'im, that it was legislated. Tistayim. That's a good proof. Now the Gemara turns to the obvious question that they have asked. Amar Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Yavos. Rabbi Zera said to Rabbi Yavos, "Miyav Rabbi Yochanan Hachi." Could Rabbi Yochanan really say that it was only from the Nevi'im? The Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Yochini, Ish Pika Space Chorsan, Aser Ish Pika Space Chorsan, Aser Nitzvah Rava V'Nizukamaymalach. We've been saying that it's all halach l'moshimisinai. Maybe it's even in a pasuk, but at least it's halach l'moshimisinai. How could you say it's only the neviim? So the Gemara says, "Ishtomin kishar chada." Quoting from Daniel, he was like dumbfounded for a second. Like he, he, he was like, you know, he didn't have a response. He was uh, struck dumb. So, oh my God, that's a good question. Yeah, didn't we just say it was biblical? What do you mean, Nevi'im? The Amar, and then he came up and he said, here's the answer. Shachachum v'chazer v'yistum. Really, it is biblical. It's a tradition going back to Moshe. What do we mean when we say it came from the prophets? We mean that the tradition was lost and the Nevi'im came and they reestablished an ancient tradition so it was reestablished by the Nevi'im, but it still is biblical. That's what we're saying now. The one who said Minan Nevi'im might really say it's not biblical at all, but Yeso Nevi'im means they reestablished a practice. So if Gemara says, Did Rabbi Yochanan really say that? That it was forgotten and reestablished? The Hama Rabbi Yochanan, but did Rabbi Yochanan say, Dilchon Ami, what you guys say, Dilhoni, is really theirs. What does that mean? So Rabbi Yochanan was an Eretz Yisrael. And when he, this is the way Rashi, Machlokas Rashi tells us how to read this. But when he was, he, he learned from Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana um, went and exiled from Bavel, went to, well, exiled, anyway, left Bavel, ran away from Bavel, go to Eretz Yisrael. And he came to pride Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan learned a lot of Torah from Rav Kahana. And Rav Kahana originally had come from Eretz, from Bavel. And then when Rabbi Yochanan was teaching his students in Israel, he would say to them, hey, you guys, 
you think you're in Israel and you have the Torah because you know you never left Eretz Yisrael and like you you dismiss the Torah of Golos you should know what you guys say it really is all we come from Bavel because I learned all my Torah from Rav Kahana who came from Bavel it's actually quite fascinating I was in Israel like two months ago and I went to a uh, yeshiva uh, Yeshiva Pesach Tikva, I gave a shear for like, uh, you know, whatever the sugya was that they were learning. I gave, you know, it's so funny because I come off the plane, I can't talk a five minute conversation in Hebrew, but I came to the Yeshiva, I gave an hour and a half shear in Hebrew. So anyway, <laughs> it just depends on what, what sort of, what vocabulary you're drawing on. Anyway, afterwards, one of the rabbin came over to me and he said, it's so important for the guys to hear that shear. He says, because they don't think there's any Torah in there, in Bavel. They only think there's Torah in there. So anyway, <laughs> so, so Rabbi Yolanda was saying, hey guys, I got to tell you, you think you're all, you think the only Torah is in Eretz Yisrael, it all comes from Bada. So, why is that relevant? So Rashi says, the point is, it's saying is, how did Rabbi Yochanan say that we forgot our Mesorah? Meaning, the, expl- the logical explanation that we forgot the Mesorah is, you know, we went into exile, we lost the tradition, we forgot the Mesorah, but Rabbi Yochanan says that even in Bada, they didn't lose the tradition, even when they went into exile. That's why Rashi we said, it's a funny type of a question. This is what, it's impossible to forget anything. Anyway, Gemara rejects the idea that Rabbi Yochanan would really say that it was forgotten and reestablished. So we're back to the question. Is it biblical or is it from the prophets? So, Lokash. It's not difficult. Kandemiktosh, Kandemvulin. Oh, look, of course it's biblical in the base Hamiktosh. The question is the practice to do it out of the base Hamiktosh. Where does that come from? That's what we're saying, that that comes from the prophet. Okay, so a minute ago I said that it's not Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, right, taking the Arava out of the base of Mikdash, right? Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai only made it to Kana by Lulav. We don't see any mention of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai by Arava, but we also don't see any mention in the Mishnayot of the practice to do Arava out of the base of Mikdash. The Gemara here is saying the practice to do Arava out of the base of Mikdash is very ancient. It goes back to the Nevi'im. Okay, so this is interesting because people, I think, don't have this clear what the conclusion of the Gemara is. People, a lot of people know this debate, Minag Nevi'im, Yisod Nevi'im, but the Gemara's conclusion is that's a debate of the out of the base of Mikdash practice. In the base of Mikdash, it's assumed to be Dilraisa. Out of the base of Mikdash, to sort of mimic and continue the practice or mimic the practice that was in the base of Mikdash, that is seen as being either legislated or practiced by the Nevi'im. And that's what this debate is about. Okay. I'm a Rebbe Ami. Says Rebbe Ami. Arava Tzrichashir. When you're doing this Arava, now we're talking about the practice we do on Hoshana Rava. We've established that that is a Zecher Lemikdash, a one-day Zecher, something that comes from the Nevi'im, and we do it, and we're going to do some waving or something. You know, we're seeing where we get the idea of doing a procession. Now we're talking about the details of that practice of Hoshana Rava. So he says, that needs a Shi'ur. There's a minimum amount that you need in order to be Yodzeh. You have to take the Arava separately. You do not take the Arava, you, you don't just, you're not Yotze by just taking the Lulav on Hoshana Rava. Like I said, you're not Yotze by taking it in the Lulav. So the Lord says, aren't those last two points redundant? Like, you know, um, um, uh, it's the same thing. Since you just said, you can only take it by itself. That's the same, the same as you're not Yotze when you take it in the Lulav. He said you had to take it by itself. No, no, the Lord says no. I might have thought, you're not Yotze in the Lulav if you just do it, if you don't pick it up twice. If you pick it up and pick it up again, maybe then you are Yotze because it's a separate picking up for the sake of Arava. That if you want to do the Arava out of the base of Mikdash, that practice, you prick it, you have to take Arava separate from the Lulav. It doesn't matter even if you pick up the Lulav twice. Okay. Kamash disagrees. He says you are do you do fulfill your obligation by taking it in the Lulav. So according to him, you didn't even have to do anything distinct. You're just when you take your Lulav on the seventh day, you're Yotse the mitzvah of Arava. Maybe he felt you had to pick it up twice, he doesn't say. Okay. The Kamashura, so that's the issue about taking it separately. Now what's the minimum size? So here it does not give a shear in terms of height, but in terms of the amount of leaves. Amrav Nachman, Gimobadi Alin Lachin. 
three uh, sticks with fresh leaves. Rashi reads it to mean three sticks. He reads the word bad as a separate stick of the arava twig. Three twigs with fresh leaves. Um, the rush reads it as no. It means on one twig, on one stick, there has to be three groups of leaves. He reads the bad, you know, like a little bunch of, like a grouping of leaves. But anyway, we'll read it like Rashi. Three, sti- three twigs with, with fresh leaves. Even one one leaf and one tw- and one twig. So Mar says, literally one twig and one leaf. Meaning, let's say you have a twig and a leaf separate from one another. You got one little stick with no leaves on it and one leaf. Really? One stick and one leaf? That's your Yosei? Well, so that's what says, that means. It doesn't mean just a twig with one leaf on it. Well, that's how the Gemara is going to correct it. Ela'ema afilu ala'echad bivad echad. No. We mean one twig with one leaf. Okay, so even if he does have one twig with one leaf, according to him, that's enough for the arava. Of course, as Rashi says, nowadays we bring huge bunches of fresh aravas and the whole thing, but technically you're Yosei with a very minimal arava for Hoshana Rava. Amar Evo says Evo. Now Evo was um, like the uh, like a uh, like a uh, we'll see in a minute. He was I think Rob's father-in-law. He was a like he was a, a, a an early generation um, Amora or a very late Tana. Um, so he says I was standing in front of Rebbe Lezrebsadov. The Aisiyahu gavra arava kame, and a certain man brought an arav in front of him, and it was presumably Hoshana Rava. Shagil chavit chavit the low bar. He took it chavit chavit and he didn't make the bracha. So what's again chavit mean? It could mean normally chavit could also mean to bang, which is our practice. But chivut aravas. But again, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says chavit chavit. Rashi says lasha nianua. He shook it. Okay, that's the phrase we had before about chibut, which Mars understood to mean to take, to hold, something of that nature. He didn't make a bracha. So now we're getting to the question, do we make a bracha on the practice of Hoshana Rabba? Um, so, chavit chavit velo barich. Chasavar, he's of the opinion, minig who it's only a practice of the neviim. You don't make a bracha on a minig. If it was a legislated, you would make a bracha. But a minog, you don't make a bracha. This becomes, that Gemara, that you don't make a bracha on a minog, becomes a huge uh, source for the Rishonim in discussing when do we, do we ever make brachas for minhagim. And the big area that there's a debate about that you make a bracha for is saying half halal on Rosh Chodesh, which is not a strict obligation. The Gemara calls it a minhag. Would you make a bracha on halal Rosh Chodesh? Would you learn from this Gemara that you never make a bracha on minhagim? And an important distinction that Tosos points out is it might depend on the nature of the minhag. Not the weight of the minhag, but the nature actually of the practice. Something like shaking a stick, a rava, okay, it does not become a mitzvah act if it's not legislated, if it's just a minhag. Minhag doesn't turn this into a significantly religious mitzvah act that you could say, asher kishanu b'mitzvah tav. You won't get that by if it's just a minhag. You need it to be rabbinically at least legislated to get that weight. But he says, saying halal, saying halal, of course it's a mitzvah act, whether it's legislated or not, you're praising God. So therefore, it's more legitimate to say, call it a mitzvah, and say, even if it's only a minhag, because in, by its very nature, it's more of a religious act than something like waving a stick. Waving a stick only becomes a religious act if God or the rabbis say so, not out of a minhag. But saying halal is always a religious act, and therefore you're, it's more legitimate to make a bracha. But this does become, that's at least Tosus' argument, but this does become a very important source for the discussion of do you make a bracha by minhagim? Okay, so that's the answer. Oh, you didn't make a bracha, we see it's only a minhag. Evo v'chizkiah b'nei barte derav. So now Evo and Chizkiah were the were Rav's nephews, the sons of the brother of Rav. Now Rav was like a transition figure between Tanayim and Amoraim. So before I said Evo was in front of Rebbe Lezer Tzadok, Evo was the next generation. He was an Amora. Rebbe Lezer Tzadok was like right at that also cusp like Rav. I said either a late generation Tana or an early, early Amora and so on. Okay, so now Evo was and Chizkiah were Rav's nephews. Aisu Arava Kamedara, Kamedara. They brought in a Rav in front of Rav. Presumably, again, we're talking about Hoshana Rava. 
Chavit Chavit Milo Barich. Again, same story, like these things that Abel himself witnessed. They did the waving, or whatever Chavit means, and they didn't make a bracha. Again, following the practice of that person that came in front of Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Tzadok, they waved without a bracha, because it's only a custom of the Nevi'im, it's not a takana, it's not a legislative practice, out of the base of Mikdash. Amar Evo. Now that we're having Evo tell about stories about Rebbe Lezer Tzadok, we get two more stories about Rebbe Lezer Tzadok that really aren't relevant. Okay, but they're interesting stories. Okay, Amar Evo. I was in front of Rebbe Lezer Tzadok. Also, the Kameh A certain man came in front of him. Amar Le, he said to him, Karaisa Isli, I have, I own many city or villages. Karmaya Isli, and there are vineyards in the villages. Zesa Isli, and there are olive trees in the villages. The Asubine Karyasa, people of the village come, Omikaskasin the Karmaya, they basically like a hoe in the um in the vineyards. Um, you know, like like a, uh, like a, whatever it is called, with uh, you know, they uh, they move the dirt they, they um in the vineyards. Um, this was Anshmita, the Ochlin Bizetaya, and they eat the olives as their for you know, they 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 take they're given olives from the olive trees for their payment. It doesn't mean they shake the branches? No. Arich um, Olo Arich. Is it a good thing to do or not a good thing? Okay, by the way, what's fascinating is this whole passage is very much in vernacular Aramaic. I'm assuming it might be Eretz Yisrael Aramaic. Um, I'm not a grammarian, but it's not a type of Aramaic you normally see in the Gemara. Amalei, so he said back to him, Lo Arich, it's not right what you're doing. It's Shemitah. Now, we would think what's not right is letting them hoe the land. We're going to see what really bothered him wasn't the hoeing of the land, but the paying them with the olives, because you're not supposed to, you know, do business with Shemitah produce. So, so the man accepted it. Okay, thank you. I'll stop the practice. And he left. Amar, so now, Rebbe Lezabar Tzaduk said, presumably to Ezo, Kadu Havisi Dairi Ba'arada Memshinin, so far, I've been living in this year land for 40 years in Eretz Yisrael. Velo chamisi bar inish, and I have not ever, I've yet to seen a person, bar inish, the son of man, I've yet to see a person, mahalich ba'orchan detaknin, going in the right path, right, orech is derech, derech yashar, I've yet to see a person going in the derech yashar, the right path, kidain as this man. That was quite fascinating. Here he was, and he was letting his people, until this point, do work on Shemitah and pay them. So the interesting thing is, yeah, okay, everybody makes mistakes, but you know what? It bothered him enough that he wasn't certain that it was okay that he came and he asked for Shiloh. Not only that, when I gave him an answer, he didn't argue with me. He didn't say, oh my God, but if you don't allow it, how am I going to do it? I'm going to lose so much money. He accepted the answer and he's going to act on it. That's about the usher. I've never seen somebody that's so willing to, you know, change course and accept the ruling with whatever the consequences is, like this type of a person. Very high, very high praise. Okay. Um, then he came back, this man, and said to him, My uh, you know what? Could you help me out here? Like, exactly what do I need to do to fix the practice? Okay, I was ready to fix it, but then I realized I'd better ask a follow-up question. Because the logical thing you would think is to say is stop hoeing the, 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 uh, the vineyard. So Amr-Leh, he said to him, make, um, uh, you know, renounce ownership of your olive trees to the poor. Chashuchaya is an Aramaic word for poor, a very uncommon one. But basically it's Shemitah. So stop protecting your olive trees. Let the olive trees be free for all. Let the poor eat off the olive trees. And give money pay the people that do the hoeing don't pay them with the olive trees you can't do business with the olive trees the olives are supposed to be free for everyone but the people that are doing the hoeing pay them out of your pocket pay them with hard cash okay so now it's a fascinating thing the only thing that bothered him was the olive trees that he was paying them with olives and that he wasn't freeing the olive trees but how could you be working in the vineyards isn't it Shemitah so the Gemara says since when is it permissible to be like you know plowing the land or not plowing but whatever hoeing the land um, on Shemitah in, in a vineyard and on the seventh year you should let it you should let it lay fallow you should abandon it you should free your hand from doing this uh, hoeing the pushing of the dirt you should abandon it don't remove stones Okay, so the Gemara says, Amarab Ukva Barkama Tre Kiskusehave. There are two forms of Kiskus. Now, Kiskus is not um, making furrows in order to plant seeds, which is, I guess, what we normally call what? Hoeing? What do you call when you make furrows and then you plant seeds? Is that. Uh, 
is that the hoeing? I think it's calling hoeing. No? Anyway, whatever. That is clearly Avodas Karka, and that's clearly Asar on Shemitah. Like the, 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 the making of the furrows and the planting of the seeds. What you have here is, you're not planting seeds. Wow. Plowing. That's, That's plowing. plowing. There you go. Plow. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, so what exactly is hoeing? I think this is hoeing. Hoeing is uh, diddling around. That's what this is. This is hoeing. So, right. Yeah. So that's what this is. So plowing is biblically forbidden. You know, that is, um, that is basically, or whatever. We'll, look, we'll learn about it in Mo'i's content. But that's basically making the soil able to plant seeds, to grow the seeds. That's a vote on Jesus. This, the vines are growing. You're just pushing around the dirt in order that the vines don't get ruined, that they get, a, you know, that the dirt is in the right place. It'll it's not, it, it, right, it's not the same type of basically plowing for planting purposes. And therefore, sometimes it's permissible. Okay, there are two types. Okay, so tre once filling up holes, basically the roots of the vines are exposed and you're doing it to cover up the roots of the vines and if you don't do it, the vines will wither. So you're not actually encouraging growth, you're just preventing them from being destroyed. That you're allowed to do on Shemitah. You can take necessary precautions so the things doesn't get ruined. So if you're filling up holes and covering up gaps and covering up exposed roots, that you're allowed to do. Ha, the other one, Avruye Ilane, strengthens the tree. Actually, actually, like, you know, encourages growth. That you're not allowed to do. That's like watering and planting. That you're not allowed to do. But covering the roots to prevent it from withering, that you are allowed to do. Okay. So the Gemara says, Avruye Ilane Aser, strengthening the trees is forbidden. Susume Pili, filling the gaps, Shari, that's permissible. Okay, one last story with Avo and Rabbi Leah's Reb What? Well, because it's Shemitah, and that's tending <laughs> to the crop. It's, to do it to prevent, to prevent them from being destroyed, maybe, yes. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Moikata. Let's just do the last story. Don't travel more than three parsangs, like a three... Um, a meal is like a kilometer, and a parsa is four meal. So this would be 12 kilometers. 12 kilometers is like what? Like, uh, like, uh, like eight miles. Okay? Don't go more than eight miles, and this was without cars, on Erev Shabbos. Now, Amar of Kanalo, Now, you would think it means don't leave your house on that type of a trip. But he think no. It means if you are, don't travel to your house longer than that. You know, if it's going to be like eight miles, it could be a half day's journey. Don't set out on such a long journey, Erev Shabbat, to get back home. Stay where you are and make Shabbos where you are. Yeah, a parsa is how many meals? A, a, a parsa is four meals. Okay. But if you're heading to an inn, that's okay, because you'll, you'll stop at whatever inn you can stop at. You're not going to expect them to have prepared food for you. You're assuming you'll eat whatever you're, whatever's, whatever you're carrying with you. But if you're going to come home, and you come home five minutes before, I would say you're afraid that you're not going to get home in time. Right. Okay, but you'll come home five minutes before Shabbos and you'll expect a nice meal to be made and they weren't expecting you home don't show up at your house five minutes before Shabbos show up at an inn fine you're expecting you'll only get what you brought with you anyway the Igadami others say I'm Rav Kahana lo nitzucha el say no certainly don't, don't go to an inn you'll be upset they won't have food prepared and so on but you might think oh but my home I can go my home I, I just want to be home for Shabbos I don't care what food I have no, even then, don't go. Because you'll think you don't care, but then you'll get there, you'll be upset that there's no food for you to eat. Okay. This happened to me. I came home right before Shabbos, and they didn't even have for me a little herring. So, Kasseta is like a fish with like some type of a batter. But it's a very basic dish that they would have on Shabbos. So he says, you know what? It's true. Don't say, oh, I'll go home. I just want to be home. I don't really care. No, you'll get home. You'll be really annoyed that there's nothing for you to eat. Okay. <laughs> and I was... <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a note here that says... Beating. That's what I've been mentioning. Yeah. So who is it? Ramban or Rambam? With an M. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where our practice is about beating it. Right. Thank you.